What's up tribe? Today we're talking about exercise habits and routines and we're going to be going much deeper into how following a program that balances your training, balances strength and flexibility is going to improve your performance. Yanni and I are going to share some personal stories about how this was the catalyst for massive change. What's up everybody? It is Wednesday morning here at Unity Gym, Sydney, Australia. We're having a cracker of a day. It's finally not raining outside and uh, we're all feeling good. Uh, today we are going deeper into the concept of building a healthy exercise habit and what it means not just to build an exercise habit because anyone can get up buy a pair of uh, runners and go for a run every day that's an exercise habit we're talking about a healthy exercise habit uh, and what that means for us is balance uh, to to remind you guys who are playing at home balance for us is not you know, the, the concept of standing on one foot. Uh, it is about balance between strength, flexibility, and cardiovascular fitness first, which creates what we call the foundation for athleticism. And then also creating balance in your strength training between the strength or structure of each joint, the muscle systems opposing one another to create stability in a joint. We're also talking about symmetry from left to right side. And then we're also talking about movement balance, strength testing balance. So uh, I think the most obvious is a uh, shoulder press versus a chin up or a bench press versus a bent over row or a squat versus a deadlift. We're talking about balance in these movements. We do have blueprints handed down from generations of brilliant strength and conditioning coaches and sports and exercise scientists who have studied the data and looked at what creates the best athletic performance platform. But then we're also, as we talked about yesterday, talking a little bit about uh, balance in lifestyle too, because what we spoke about yesterday, sharing our history on this quest, how our lives became very unbalanced by trying to fit a strength workout in, a cardio workout in, and a flexibility workout all in the same day, roughly five hours of exercise every day, three, uh, three to five hours of exercise every day. It became very unbalanced in other areas of our life. And so yeah, balance is a very big deal. Now, before we dive any deeper, uh, I want to ask the question of the day. The question of the day today is, have you ever had an experience where gaining flexibility felt like it improved your strength? I'm certainly going to share a story about how I felt I experienced that. And I want to give a shout out to everyone listening on the podcast with Phil Away. Richie's been managing the podcast and he's doing a great job of getting these shows up straight after we uh, uh, drop them live. He's also getting them up on our YouTube channel. So big love to everyone who tunes in and watches the replay on YouTube. Uh, but both of you guys, make sure you get over and join our UMS Movement Mastermind where we can give you shout outs like this to Vinnie Brown, who's joined us, Joseph Gilbert, who's joined us. They're all chiming in and answering our question of the day already. Make sure if you are watching on YouTube or listening to the podcast, answer the question of the day. Remember, have you ever had an experience where gaining flexibility felt like it improved your strength? How are you today, Red? Good man. Yeah, it's a good. Uh, I'm looking forward to this show. I, I I started revealing a little bit too much about what we we're going to talk about today and tomorrow um, in yesterday's show because I'm so passionate about this. So this is a this is going to be a fun one for me. I'm, I'm looking forward to it. Yeah, it's hard. It's hard to go. We're learning uh, from some r experts in the in the field of sort of communication. Uh, one concept per show. It's very hard not to just dump a million. You know, we're so passionate about this, but we really, we're really told over and over again, one concept per show. Don't, 
don't confuse people too much. How are you, Richard? Good, Johnny. Thank you. He's crushing it. He's crushing it. Yeah. So I'm gonna I'm gonna start by building a bit of context on how gaining flexibility improved my strength, and I gave a bit of a hint away yesterday. For me, the biggest uh, insight or the biggest proof, I guess, that came that was just so bleedingly obvious that I couldn't resist going deeper down the rabbit hole of improving my flexibility was when I, after I'd had a, uh, a knee reconstruction, a knee, knee reconstructive surgery after a pretty horrific soccer injury where I went into a tackle and someone uh, quite large, a big defender's knees went into the side of my knee. He didn't pull out and, and um, it dislocated my knee. It pinned my knee on the, on the ground and I was moving in an awkward direction and uh, my knee bent sideways as it's not meant to do. And and it caused a lot of damage to the knee and I had to have uh, a re reconstructive surgery. And, you know, I had this moment um, uh, where I was challenged, where my ego was challenged by uh, uh, one of the great strength coaches in Australia here, uh, Ian King, who, you know, we haven't done a lot of work with. We've read a few of his books and we were able to go along to a strength and conditioning No one's summit. done a lot of work with him unless you're an Olympic athlete. Yeah, when we, well, we in the King Institute now, he teaches trainers and coaches, yeah, okay, so that's how he's working Okay, now. well yep. then, I remember this very, very clearly. When we did our workshop with him, Tony Bataji, the guy that was able to book him um, because of his status and his connections, he said it was the first time in 18 years that Ian King has not trained an Olympic athlete or someone at his King Institute, yeah. which you have to pay a lot of money and go up to Queensland to do. Yeah, yeah. First time in 18 years. Yeah, so that's, that's right. And that was us. So uh, we basically were very we're very blessed. We were at the Strength and Conditioning Summit. Uh, this is going back probably five years now, I'd say. And... Um, and then after that, they invited a small select group of trainers, I'd like to say elite trainers, <laughs> um, to go back to Tony's gym and do a day's session with him, uh, practical, because everything we'd heard up until that point was more theory. And uh, during that period, I was challenged uh, at the concept that my knee may never have dislocated if I was more flexible, because I was very, very unflexible at the time, especially in my lower extremities, in my legs, my hamstrings. And... Uh, and it really upset me at the time because I just thought it was such a ridiculous thing to say. But because I was in strict rehab and couldn't lift heavy, I had a lot of time on my hands. So I, for the first time ever, I thought, okay, I'm going to give this stretching and flexibility training a go. And I went to town on it. And I got m like mediocre results because I didn't, we didn't really know at this stage how to do flexibility, but I got a result. I improved my flexibility quite considerably. And... It wasn't until I was testing uh, quite a heavy squat, uh, 180 kilos, that I noticed just how easy and comfortable it felt at the bottom range of a squat, having better hip uh, and ankle flexibility. And um, that was the real eye-opener for me because for the very first time, and we'll go deeper into this uh, as to why it was easier um, later, but yeah, for the very first time, I didn't feel unsafe at the bottom of a squat. I felt like I could, I could <coughs> posture up and... Uh, that I wasn't getting excessive butt wink and I, yeah, it, it just felt really quite amazing, you know, and I could actually sit at the bottom of a squat with 180 kilos on my back for 30 seconds quite comfortably, you know, without it just um, um, destroying me and, and squashing me. So uh, that was the that was the the big the big aha moment for me, um, and and we've all got a few of these, and Rad's going to share one that's specific to calisthenics and and uh, hand balancing, and and even more specifically, 
Uh, the Presta handstand. Why don't you do that? Well, I was um, I was into martial arts most of my life, and I started when I was seventeen, really getting into it, and you know, meaning that I started training almost every day. Um, got into kung fu at nineteen, did it very, very religiously almost until I was thirty when I joined the army, and then I, I did what I could when I was in the army for four years. Got out, still did Kung Fu, probably maybe even harder than I'd ever done before because I was older and wiser and more driven um, for about a year, no, about two years, trained um, five days a week for two to three hours a day and maybe sometimes on Saturday for an hour. And I made the decision to do calisthenics um, so that we could develop something more special at our gym that, you know, Kung Fu really wasn't a part of. And um, very quickly I realized that there were certain things that really required a lot of strength in calisthenics, but almost everything benefited from flexibility. And I could feel the lack of flexibility because I was lucky enough to have a Kung Fu teacher that explained the reason why you need flexibility um, to kick high. And uh, I mean, it's kind of like a no brainer. Everybody knows you need to be flexible. But when I asked my Kung Fu teacher, he said, because if you're not flexible enough, then when you try to kick high, your muscles try and pull your leg up to a head height kick but the muscles on the opposing side of the joint restrict you from going up there. So no matter how much strength you've got, you're, you're, you're literally fighting your own body to get up there. So that made sense to me. And then when I thought about calisthenics and I looked at what I was trying to achieve, I thought, wow, I'm experiencing the same thing here. I can't get into these positions and knowing what I know, it doesn't matter how hard I push, I'm just not gonna get there. So I made a decision that I was going to get flexible. When I hear people say, oh, I can't get flexible, I, I'm polite when I say this, of course, but I always say, no, it's not that you can't get flexible, it's that you haven't decided to be flexible yet. You haven't made the decision that you're gonna do it. And I'd it was go, the same. I would go further and challenge that and say, it's because you don't know how. Yeah, you, you don't, you don't you understand do. the mechanism. Yeah, but, but, that, but before that comes, you haven't made the decision. Yeah. Because yeah. you gotta make, you, you just make the decision. You yeah. say, anyone that's successful at anything laughs at people that say, I can't do it. They just laugh at you and go, no, that's bullshit. You just haven't decided that you're going to do it. Because if you decide you're going to do it, you'll knock down any barrier in front of you. And that's what I did. I decided I was going to be flexible and I started doing the work and I started learning about it. And for me, the biggest, the biggest breakthrough and the biggest thing that I could see was the press to handstand. Because I remember wanting to learn how to do a press to handstand and I asked my friend Aaron who could do it and he said, oh, you just got to do this. And he explained it to me. But when I tried to do what he could do, I, there just was no chance. There was no chance that I could even get into the position. I couldn't even get my f hands close enough to my feet to stack my weight, to yeah. stack my hips over my shoulders, which is what you do in a press to handstand. You you go up on your toes and you basically transition where when, when you bend down and just put your hands on the ground, your pelvis is stacked over your feet. So all your weight is in your feet and you have to transition that weight so that the pelvis stacks over the shoulders and then the legs just come off the ground. Yeah. And I just couldn't do it. It was, there was no, it was no amount of strength that I could do that was gonna get me there. So this, fit, this idea of creating this balance between strength and flexibility, what did that do for me? Among many, many other things, I got a press to handstand. Yeah. I, I, I got the press to handstand um, and I got that from creating a balance between strength and flexibility. But it also for me, I started doing things like cartwheels and I started doing um, less um, gymnastics-esque entries into handstands like those cartwheel entries that I do that, that basically came from capoeira. Yep. And again, they require a different type of flexibility. They require the middle splits where the press to handstand requires um, more of a pike and a pancake. Yep. Yep. Um, and that, that's my story and it, and it just changed the game for me, you know, and, it, and it's the most satisfying experience because when people aren't flexible, 
they and there's people that are so strong in our gym that have that have come from 10 years of weightlifting experience um but really aren't flexible and they say oh man i just can't do that i can't do that and you say yeah i know i know that feeling when your body is so stiff that you can't do it and it feels impossible to you but it's because you're not balanced yeah and I think there's something that you, really important that you said there because we've been challenged on this so many times. The, the amount of time that I've written a blog article where I talk about the notion of your body fighting itself, uh, uh, muscle systems fighting against each other to be able to produce a movement. And people always challenge that. Tell, you know, I had this one smart ass um, say, how can you possibly suggest to us that your body fights itself? Like just that concept is completely ridiculous. Your body can't fight against itself. And I'm like, well, th that's a misunderstanding of the, the concept of a force coupling and a joint. Yeah, every a joint in the body, every joint in the body has opposing muscle systems. muscle systems that pull it in either direction. Yeah. How can you not understand that if one of those joint systems is trying to stop the, the, the joint from moving and the other one's trying to pull it, that's a tug of war. That's a fight. You know, <laughs> it's, it's, it's no different than two teams pulling on a rope either side. It's the, the, the logic is that one muscle system's pulling in one direction and the other muscle system's trying to restrict that direction. And, and, and in my mind, it's just easy to say, okay, those two muscle systems are fighting each other, you know, to move in different directions. I don't see why that's such a hard logic to get your head around. Now, when you understand that and you understand that every joint in the body has opposing muscle systems that either create stability, which is in physics is referred to a force coupling, or it's creating movement in either direction. You know, some joints have multi-plane movements like the shoulder joint where there's a lot that can happen that, and, and a lot of ways in different directions that it can move. Other joints like the knee only have um, sort of single plane movement where they're moving either sagittally or um, back and forth, you know. And that's why my knee dislocated because it tried to move sideways. It doesn't have that multi-plane dimension, you know. It moves in, in either um, flexion or extension, that's it, you know. And so I, uh, I, just, I just find that so weird. But once you start to understand, okay, the, the, body the, the joints certainly can fight against each other and, and it's a natural um, in inhibitor that's doing that. The, the brain is inhibiting movement. And if you're trying to kick, there's a this is a really great example because Vinnie um, Brown has used that as his, his answer for the question of the day. Uh, he says, hi guys, improved flexibility definitely translates to stronger kicks in Taekwondo. So a big yes. Vinny's, as, uh, correct me if I'm wrong, but um, he's been doing Taekwondo for 33 years or something like that. Uh, he's, a, he's a lifetime vet of Taekwondo. So he certainly understands the logic behind being able to kick higher. <laughs> And, and, and we all know that Taekwondo is a very kick-dominant um, martial art. It's all kicking, right? Um, yeah, well, ta uh, to my knowledge, in uh, at least when you watch Taekwondo tournaments, I'm pretty sure that you only really score for kicking. Yeah. And if you do score for punching, it, the, the scores are so low that people just don't bother throwing. I mean, when they when you watch Taekwondo tournaments, they don't even fight with their yeah, hands yeah, like yeah, this. Yeah, they fight yeah. with their, because they're yeah. literally just lining up for That's a kick, right. you know? Uh, so, so, and this is really important because you need to understand that your body is 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 designed in a way where the brain will prevent you from hurting yourself um, to the best of its ability by um, it, it, it will receive data from the muscle spindles right at the other end, the opposing end, at the end of the joint, or right through the um, the, the limb that you're trying to move when it feels like, okay, I'm at my r safe range, don't go further than this, or I may be at risk of injury. And then at that point, that it, it'll get that feedback and it'll say, okay, contract the opposing muscle and stop that um, joint from 
um, bending or flexing or extending, you know. And so if you're, if you're, if if for you, if you're unflexible, that might only be waist high for a kick. Whereas a, a flexible person has, has developed uh, mobility so that they can kick to the head, you know. But you've got to understand that the, the first thing that you want to be doing with flexibility training is reducing the, the, or delaying that, that brain's response so that you're allowed to go further. And, you know, that in, in and of itself is a very nice example of why it improves performance. So we're using martial arts there. It's going to improve performance in your kick. Now... Now think about the logic where if that restriction is not happening at all, think about how much faster and harder that kick is going to occur. Now it's no longer got any restriction on the opposing end. You can just throw your leg at full ballistic speed without restriction. Do you think that's going to increase strength? Of course it is, well, Andy logically. Well, La Andy Lawson's just replied to Vinny saying, agreed, I've found that uh, uh, getting a good technique through improved flexibility has made kicks more powerful. It absolutely does. I mean, I can, I can um, relate to this 100% because I remember when I used to do um, Kung Fu, but I wasn't as flexible as I am now. And I used to try and, uh, well, not try, I used to kick head height. But it took me years and years. And I actually never figured this out whilst I was doing Kung Fu training. I didn't get it. I didn't figure it out until later on when I was starting to move into calisthenics and learning all this stuff. But, um, but my kicks to head height were never that powerful compared to if I kicked at about chest height. If yep. I kicked at chest height, I could kick really hard. But at head height, which was the end of my range of motion, my, the power really dropped off. And I, I'd try so hard. I'd put all my force into it. But then it was an inefficient kick and it was something that was using a lot of energy. And um, now that I understand this, it, it just makes so much sense. And now that I'm a lot more flexible than I was back then, I can actually kick harder now um, ten, uh, without having practiced kicking for, I haven't practiced kicking for six or seven years and I can kick harder now. When, I, when I've gone out once or twice and got one of you guys to hold the pads for me just to play around with it, I can kick harder now than I used to. Uh, and it's because the technique, it's like riding a bike, you know, like, if you practice really hard to get a technique with a kick and you, you won't lose that technique, like you, you can not ride a bike for 20 years, but you can pick up a bike and you'll still be able to ride it. But if you remember the work that went in to learning how to ride a bike and to learning how to balance, it took a lot of work to understand it. But don't ride a bike for 20 years. You're not going to get up on a bike and fall over. You're still going to ride it. And But the, the hardest thing with kicking is to be able to maintain flexibility and strength and fitness and if you can maintain that and increase it without even practicing the technique you're going to get better at it i guarantee it um but that's you know we've just used martial arts as the example if you're not interested in martial arts i guarantee you that this same principle applies if you're trying to do a handstand if we we have you know one of the one of the most common reasons that we see at unity gym as to why people can't do a handstand is because they don't have the flexibility in their shoulders their shoulders they can't get good shoulder flexion which is where you bring your arms up above your head and again if you don't have like the way that it, the, the reason why a handstand works is because you stack your body in a straight line if you aren't stacking your body in a straight line if your shoulders go like this or if you have a banana bend or anything like that it's an inefficient handstand and you're going to be using a hell of a lot more strength to hold you up there than if you can hold it in a straight line 
And if you don't believe me on that, just go out and stand up next time you're standing up and arch your back and kink your hips a little bit and see how long you can stand there for like that. Yeah, you won't be able to right. do it for more than a couple of minutes without being in extreme discomfort. Um, but, but we naturally stand vertically because that's just the way we're geared to do it. And our bodies are designed to do that very, very easily. But uh, our shoulders are designed to go up here, but it's use it or lose it. And so as we age, we lose it. Like I've almost, I don't know if I've ever seen a kid, and maybe they're out there, of course, but if you line up 100 kids, I'm sure that 99 of them could easily put their hands up into the position that they need to to be able to do a handstand. So we lose it as we age. And then the same thing with squatting. You know, you, it's like what Yanni said. If you don't have good, you know, this is the biggest one, right, is the Olympic lifting. People say, I want to learn how to Olympic lift. And you look at their squat and you're like, oh, man, the Olympic lifting is so far out of your you know what you're capable of yep. and people get really upset because they feel like they can deadlift and they can squat already so they want to do olympic lifting because it's the next thing but they don't you don't understand that it's it's not about the strength that allows you to be to qualify you for olympic lifting it's the flexibility yep. and the same thing comes with handstands even for a good squat you know if you don't have a good squat what's going to get you there to start with is develop that mobility to be able to remove the restrictions that yanni was talking about yeah i was like desperately trying to flick through some notes to because I wanted to, uh, to refresh myself on this so I could explain it better, but I uh, for the life of me, I can't find it. Maybe I'll dig it up um, tomorrow because we've got the textbooks just up on the shelf there. But what I want you guys to understand, now we're going to bring a little bit of um, uh, science into the discussion. There, there are six different adaptations that occur in the body to uh, produce a strength adaptation. And the vast majority of them, I think five out of the six are to do with the nervous system and the brain. There is the concept of just reprogramming the brain to understand the sequencing and what it needs to do, what muscles it needs to trigger. But one of the big ones, and the one I wanna really highlight now is that the brain needs to learn to switch off the antagonist. It's called antagonist in inhibition, where it learns, okay, the agonist, the primary muscle, so if we think logically about uh, lifting a bicep curl, the brain needs to know that the biceps and the elbow flexors that flex the arm, if you're listening on the podcast, I'm demonstrating bending my elbow uh, like I'm doing a bicep curl. The brain first needs to understand, okay, I need to maximize the contraction in the muscles that bend the elbow. But at exactly the same time, it also needs to, to learn that it has to relax the opposing muscles, which in this case very, very obviously are the triceps at the back of the arm. And that in and of itself is one of the six key adaptation principles that occur when you're learning to get strong. Strength is a skill and we develop strength like we develop any skill with, with practice. So if you think logically, and, and, and this is one of the reasons why gaining flexibility helps um, performance in strength, is that the more your brain feels like these muscles are not inhibited, that they're not uh, restricted, then the more you, it, it, it's, the easier it um, becomes for it to switch that opposing muscle off. If it's still feeling like you have uh, vulnerability in the movement you're trying to create or produce, or you've got instability in the end range, you've got really bad end range strength, then it's going to have a very hard time of inhibiting that antagonist muscle because the antagonist muscle is what's going to prevent you from creating a movement that's dangerous. So all of these adaptations in strength require balance in strength and flexibility. And it just, it, it just baffles me that people still don't understand this. Now, the reason why a lot of people argue this is because you can get away with it to a point. You know, you can get away with not being super 
flexible to a point. And powerlifting is a good example. Powerlifters don't need to squat down super low because it's they're not they're not trying to get under a bar like an Olympic weightlifter is. They have to just break parallel, which is what the, the, the they've set the federation the benchmarking up to. So you can get away with not being super flexible in powerlifting. In most cases, the powerlifter the, the good powerlifters are very very big. There's what we call hydropific restriction there. So even on a bench press, you don't have to because there's so much mass there. The bar doesn't have to travel very far, you know. And, and they minimize the amount of bar travel. They want to minimize how much the weight actually moves to maximize how much load they can put on the weight. And so I think that is one of the reasons why there's this, there's this concept that, okay, well, powerlifters aren't very flexible and they're very strong. So why do you say you have to be uh, uh, flexible to be strong? Well, if you go outside of the realm of powerlifting and you want to demonstrate that strength on the football on the football field or in any other environment other than powerlifting, you are vulnerable now. Yeah, I'm going to challenge that even a lot further. Powerlifting specifically uses the shortest range of motion possible to be able to pass the lifts. That's exactly right. And they don't deny that. If you're, de if you're debating this, <laughs> go and argue with our friend Bas Oreb, Australian strength coach, um, debate with one of the strongest men in the world. He'll tell you, it is my goal to use the shortest range, of pos range possible that passes the lift. So they go wider with their legs, they go down only until their thighs come parallel to the ground, and then they come back up because that's all they need to do to pass the squat. They go as wide as they can with their arms on the bench press and arch their back and they go wide with their arms so that the because all the bar has to do is touch the chest and then the elbows need to lock out. So if they do a big range of motion, so... Well, it's, uh, it's inefficient. Yeah, inefficient. So, so mobility exactly and flexibility right. is not a big part of, of, of um, necessarily of what those guys do, but they need that, you know, they need that range of motion to be able to... Um, like the... The, 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 big, the bigger the range of motion that you've got, the easier it is to do whatever you want to do in it, right? So if you can only go to that depth that a power lifter goes to, if that's all you can do, that's, then when you get down to where you need to be to score, that's the end of your range of motion and you've got nothing left in the tank. But if you can go deeper than that, you know what I mean? It's yeah, I want to break away from this because what Lee Clements is saying here, this is really important that we that we leave you guys understanding this concept. Lee Clements is saying, kicking is a great example, but not so obvious to understand for other moves, harder to explain to other folks. So I, I want to use the example of uh, a simple bench press and a squat or something like that. Now, we've, we've used handstands and hopefully you guys understand why you know, handstands is not a strength exercise unless you can't do a handstand. Yeah. And we have this argument with people all the time. The reason why people find handstands exhausting is because they're not flexible enough. Mm -hmm. They're not flexible enough in the shoulders. And so their body is really having to um, contract muscles to keep them inverted. Whereas, you know, you got to what Rad said before is very, very true. We don't have to think about standing up straight. Like if you stand up, yes, you get fatigued after a while, but you can stand up for a day and, and not get, you know, and not be exhausted. Mm -hmm. So why can't you uh, do a handstand for a day? Well, because most, most of the time you can't, um, I mean, ov the, the obvious thing is that you, you, you get blood pooling in your brain and it, your eyes go bloodshot and you end up feeling pretty awful. But a good hand balancer, and I've seen Miguel Santana and people like that do this, they do five minute handstands. You know, 
Um, and and you you got to you got to think um, the the logic behind not being able to stand on your hands as much as your feet is because the wrists aren't designed to do it. They're just not designed to take the weight. The ankles are much stronger than the wrists. The the, the structures of the body are designed to stand on your feet, not your hands. But you should, you know, if you're flexible enough, be able to do a 60 second handstand without it fatiguing you. And the reason why people can't is because they're not flexible enough. So that's an obvious uh, point. Um, the flexibility allows you to stack the body in a straight line and therefore you're resting on the joint structures, not your muscle structures. But in a squat and a bench press, the reason why flexibility um, uh, increases performance and strength, I'll, I'll give you an example with the squat because this is something that I explored deeply. There's two things that you need to be able to lift real heavy in a squat. The first one is that you need to be able to maintain posture, so posturing up so the bar doesn't collapse you forward with, uh, with the least amount of effort possible because if your body is working extremely hard to posture, then it's going to be expelling energy. You've got a, a certain amount of muscle motor units that ignite um, and, and fire a muscle system. Those muscle mo motor units are dispersed over the entire body in a movement like a squat, so they're spread thinner than in, in a movement like a bicep curl, which is isolated, okay? Now, when you're using a stack of energy to remain postured, just so the bar doesn't crumble you forward, um, you, you've got your hamstrings so tight that they're pulling on your pelvis and, and causing that excessive butt wink at the bottom and your lower back's working as hard as it can to keep you in that postured upright position. Your erector spinae, the muscles that run from your butt to your skull, are working as hard as they can to try and keep your body postured up. Then you're wasting energy energy that could be used or, or, or sent to your legs to lift a heavier squat, okay? That's the first reason why flexibility. So if your legs are more flexible and they're not pulling on all of those other muscles, then those muscles don't have to work as hard. So that's pretty obvious. I hope, we're, I hope you're still with me. Uh, let, let us know in the comments, Lee, if you're still with me. Second is that when you open up the range of movement and you're stable and you've got good solid end range strength and the flexibility is there, you can use the full stretch shortening cycle of the muscle, meaning that you can elongate the muscle to its full capacity, you can hit the end range of a joint and then you can use that the stretched muscle to become elastic and pull you back up to the top position. This is what you see in Olympic weightlifters when they do a clean and jerk. You'll often see them bounce out of the bottom range. Like their um, uh, groins almost hit the floor. They get so deep, you know, and they are literally using the full stretch shortening cycle so they can use the muscles to their full capacity, use the joints to their full capacity, and they do that safely. And that in and of itself creates a massive strength advantage. When you can hit the bottom range of a squat and use that full stretch shortening cycle and then come back up again, that is a very big advantage. Now, both of those theories both of those principles, the, the, the posture and also the stretch shortening cycle, carry over to almost all strength movements. You can use those theories in the bench press, you can use those theories in the chin-up, you can use those theories in pretty much all strength movements, okay? Mm -hmm. And that is why flexibility improves strength. Yep, 100%.
don't know if that's I don't know if I can spell it out any any easier. So Andy's saying so flexibility brings better efficiency of movement, therefore better focus of strength. Absolutely. Yeah. That's ex- exactly right. You can use the joint to its full capacity, you can use the full stretch shortening cycle without the risk of injury and your 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 energy is spent in the prime movers more than the, the than the postural muscles fo- uh, fighting to hold you in a good position. Yep. So, well, that's all we got time for today. Yeah, that's. Ho- well, ho- I think we got it all out. One. I think we got it all out. Tomorrow, I think up. I'm going to get more of a chance to talk because tomorrow I'm going to be talking about how we program for strength, flexibility, and fitness in every workout, and why I'm going to share the story as to how we created our revolutionary Unify movement system that is getting better results for people in one hour than other people are getting in uh, two separate workouts. Yeah. So we're going to do. We 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 got a big two days to finish off this uh, the series this week and I'm super excited about this because we got a unique opportunity we're going to tell you how we did it it do it in our UMS which is what we teach here at the gym and online and then we're going to tell show you how we did it in our at-home workouts on Friday yeah. uh, because people say oh yeah but you you know you you guys use lots of barbells dumbbells uh, pull-up bars and kettlebells and things like that at the at the gym and uh, and in the UMS program well we're going to prove to you that you can also do this without any equipment at all just by using your own body weight and we'll talk about how we did that and, and pull apart the at-home workouts on Friday. So got two big shows coming at you tomorrow and Friday to round up this series, and uh, we're super excited. Thanks for joining us, guys. See you later, everyone. Have a good day. Health is about performance, not just body image. You better be willing to accept what you're going to have to do to get there. We'll start focusing on movement goals, strength goals, flexibility goals. When you nail that skill, it's there forever. The body image goal doesn't get you that far. It's the consistency and frequency that's going to get you there. It's not the intensity. There's no shortcuts to mastery and movement. Destination doesn't change overnight, but your direction will. The gym is not the place to beat up the body that you hate. It's the place to build the body that you love. We are the gym that teaches people how to move instead of just exercise because we believe that health is about performance, not just body image.